ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. You are listening to Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. It's Friday and we are headed into, amazingly, a busy sports weekend of actual games. The NBA exhibition games continued with the Lakers and the Mavericks last night. LeBron and AD looked good. Seth Curry went off for Dallas. Um, No one wants to play Dallas, I don't think, in the the first round of the playoffs. Even as the seven, um, I think they could give the Clippers a little problem if the Clippers don't take them seriously. Luka Doncic is potentially has the potential to be the best player on the floor on any given night, even with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the floor. So I don't think anybody wants to play Dallas, particularly if they're shooting the ball well. If they're shooting the ball well, if Porzingis is shooting, um, if Donjic is making shots, if Tim Hardaway is making shots, if Seth Curry is making shots, that is a very hard team to defend. Uh, And the Pelicans know that well. Um, Kyle Kuzma still sucks. Kyle Kuzma still sucks. Damn that. Lakers fans are killing him. Remember when he was untouchable? They said that the deal couldn't go down. They would not part with Kyle Kuzma in the AD deal. Yeah, he's untouchable now, ain't he? Nobody wants him. I don't think the Lakers want him anymore. Uh, Giannis looked fantastic. The Blazers looked rusty. Uh, Damian Lillard didn't shoot well. CJ McCollum didn't shoot well. Carmelo Anthony didn't shoot well. The interior guys shot pretty well. But interior defense, I, I don't know how great it is right now um, in these exhibitions. But the Pels will play again on Saturday uh, against the Denver Nuggets and Bull Bowl. So get hyped for that. You can see Bull Bowl versus the Pelicans. Um, and we'll see how Bull Bowl does in his second uh, NBA appearance. Uh, I do have one comment about the, the games. Okay, so the home announcers do the games on NBA the NBA network uh, for these exhibitions, the home team and the Lakers announcers were doing the game and they were praising the NBA for pulling this off, which yes, this is a gigantic feat to pull off. But at the same time, there was a bit of, Hey, look at this. Everyone is, is fantastic. Nobody's sick. Da, 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 da. And we're a couple weeks into this. And that's fine. And even if nobody comes out of this sick, is what, and that's what we all hope, is that every player, every coach, every staff member comes out of this healthy. But to be doing a victory lap while there are millions of Americans who go to work every day without protections, with, we have teachers about to go back to school without enough sanitizer for their, for their schools. I mean, it's a shortage around the country in hand sanitizer. Every kid in the country is asked to bring hand sanitizer to their schools. He has to bring wipes, all those things. And the NBA is patting itself on the back for spending hundreds of millions of dollars to keep players safe. That's what it was supposed to do. It has those resources. It's doing what it should. It should not get a pat on the back for that. And we certainly as a society shouldn't be patting uh, leagues on the back when we are as a nation not taking care of those essential workers and even just the people who have to work every day 
not just our essential folks, not just the folks in, in the hospitals, not just the teachers, not just the grocery store people, the delivery people, all these things. Everybody's going to work and they don't have an assurance that they're in a safe environment. Uh, Major League Baseball got started with a pair of games on opening night of its 60-game season. Uh, the Yankees win over the Nationals. Garrett Cole uh, looked solid. Um, Yankees got a big home run from Giancarlo Stanton. So that looked normal in that regard. Uh, you know, it looked like baseball. Just there was nobody there. And baseball, I think, will be least affected as far as the on the field kind of things because you just don't. Baseball is by nature six feet apart at nearly all times. The people who are the closest to each other ain't facing each other. So uh, I think baseball will be pretty successful. I still wonder how um, the season is going to go. But we'll talk more baseball with our uh, with today's guest, um, and I will introduce her um, soon. But please stick around for that. On college sports, Barry Alvarez now the latest athletic director to warn that all athletic programs are in jeopardy without football revenue. And I understand it. They're talking about $40, 70000000 million shortfalls in athletic budgets um, without football. But how can there be any question in your mind after these statements by coaches, by athletic directors, that football players and also basketball players are employees of their universities? How can there be any question at this point that these are employees and not players. What does it say about the state of higher education in, in athletics if the sports are going to drive the decisions we make about how schools operate? If that revenue is more important than what the academic missions of these institutions are, if sports is more important than what the academic missions of these institutions are, then why do they exist? This is what Alvarez said. I believe we will reach a monumental crossroads in the coming days. We will have two choices, remain at the head of the class or fall behind. Everything we pride ourselves on, now this is everything we pride ourselves on, competing at the highest level, developing world-class student-athletes, and raising trophies relies on our ability to financially support our student-athletes. Is that everything we pride ourselves on? Is that everything we pride ourselves on? And he can say, yes, that's the mission of the athletics department. But that is still not the mission of the athletics department. Competition on the collegiate level, because you see all these announcers say this whenever you see this. Oh, it's about sportsmanship. It's about team. It's about learning. No, it's about revenue and trophies. It's a business. Coaches have to win Players have to perform. Money has to be made. It is not a game. It is not amateurism. None of what they're saying is right or true. And this, all the things we're going through in this country, this is the time for evaluation. What do we value? What do we really take pride in? What should we take pride in? I mean, you look at Kentucky. And you have the University of Kentucky faculty asking that Rupp Arena be renamed. And some people are going to say, when does it end? When do we stop changing names of things? And my response is how much time you got. And I'll tell you when it should end. Because we can respect accomplishments without honoring people who don't deserve honor. Not in the public sphere. Not in the public sphere. 
Adolph Rupp was a great basketball coach, and I can say that. You don't win 800-plus games. You don't win national championships. Even if your competition is segregated, you don't do that unless you have some type of ability to coach. And clearly, he was an innovator. He was somebody who was influential to a great number of, of people in the game of basketball. I could say all those things. But in a lot of ways, he was a flawed person, particularly when it came to race. And I don't know if Adolph Rupp was a full-on racist. Didn't meet the man. But I have read the experiences of black players who were tacitly recruited by him, passively recruited by Kentucky, and their response to him. And the overwhelming majority of people who will tell you that he was not a bigot are white people. And you say, well, why does that matter? Because if you're never around black people, if you don't associate with black people, then you don't have really too many calls for you to act openly racist. But there are quotes of Adolph Rupp using racist language. There are quotes of Adolph Rupp saying he didn't need black players. So that's what time is for. Time is supposed to give us perspective, or at least it should. Adolf Rupp belongs in a museum. He belongs in your Hall of Fame. That is, I won't argue that. Hall of Fames are not moral judgments. I would no sooner take Adolf Rupp out of the Naismith Hall of Fame than I would take O.J. Simpson out of the NFL, uh, out of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame status is not a judgment of who you are. It's a judgment of what you've done within your sport. But Adolf Rupp is a relic of a time that we as a nation still have not reconciled with. And I say change the name. I'm not into naming buildings after people anyway. Because that's the whole point is that we do this. And then when you get the lens of history and you and you are able to see things clearly, we realize how many mistakes we've made with people. And there are no perfect people, but there are people who, again, their core principles, the things that they did or did not do in times when they should have been judged for those actions. That's the measurement of who should be honored. And if anything, if you're going to honor the accomplishments of student athletes on a collegiate campus, it is not about the coach. It is about the players. The program is about the players. One of the great educators that I ever got the, appreciate, uh, the uh, privilege to work around, Mary Laurie, principal um, at... O'Perry Walker High School uh, when we returned from Hurricane Katrina and then the principal when it changed uh, the transition to uh, Landry Walker High School and I met Mary Laurie I was director of communications and governmental relations for the Algiers Charter School Association and this is my first time working in education though I was raised in education my mother was an educator is and was at the time and um, an education advocate and has worked in this my entire life. 
um, primarily as a volunteer. So it wasn't like something that we made money off of. But it was our passion. My grandfather was a teacher. My mother taught school for a while. My aunt um, recently retired as a teacher after decades in the Birmingham public schools. So education has been part of my life um, the entire, you know, as far as I know. That's what I know. It's, the, it's a field that I'm comfortable in. Um, and Mary Laura was different than a lot of people. And one of the things she taught me, well, two things. The first one was one day I saw her skipping on campus. And I was like, and this is a woman who was in her 60s at the time. And she's skipping. And I asked her why she was skipping. And she said, you know, one of the things as an adult you forget how to do is how to skip. And she said, That's, it's, a, it's a carefree thing. It's something that kids do. And you don't do it as an adult because you just, you let go of a lot of those things. And she said, sometimes I just use it to remind myself to be young. And that was cool. The other thing, though, was something that was very serious. And when we were first opening schools after Hurricane Katrina, and we were setting up our mission for ACSA. And this is a group of people who had primarily not worked together ever. This is a brand new staff. Some of the educators, of course, knew each other. But us on the administrative side, I hadn't met any of these people. I knew some of the uh, principals because I, some of them I had been, been mine. Some of them had been teachers at schools that I'd attended. But Mary Laurie told me and a number of people that schools do not exist to give adults jobs. Schools exist for the betterment of children. And I think we have forgotten that, particularly when it comes to the intersection of athletics and academics. And I understand it when people say that there are bigger issues because there are. There are much bigger issues than just names on teams and buildings. There are bigger, way bigger issues. But you don't have to stop trying to fix both at the expense of either of them. We can take care of the cosmetic things while we take care of the systemic things because they both matter. The outward appearance of these things matters as much as the inner workings. And if you think that the momentum of the movement slows down, it's only because we're worried about the ability of those who don't want change to outlast those of us who do. Not this time, not me. And I hope that most of you who are listening feel the same way. All right, that's the start of the show. So I'm going to take this quick break. And when I return, my guest, Erica Fernandez otherwise known as Curls and Sports, from the um, quickoutthablock.com website. We talk some baseball, we talk some basketball, and we have some fun. Uh, so stick around. Be right back with more Hard in the Paint with David Gross. I ain't never missing I'm money hungry on a money mission. Pussy nigga, you not in the loop. None of my nigga talk, we just shoot. Get a dope and do what it do. Get a pack and flip it to two. We move away on the highway. Welcome back to the Friday edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. It is now my pleasure to welcome to the show for the very first time, Erica Fernandez. She goes by Curls and Sports on Twitter, and you can find her work on quickoutheblocks.com, where she covers everything from entertainment to sports. Erica, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad to have you on. 
Of course. Thank you for the introduction, David. I appreciate you. And I'm really excited to just take part of more podcasts because, man, we need to get our voices out there. I hate when I hear people say, oh, here's another podcast. Nah, don't be a hater. Give an opportunity to a different perspective. Yeah. And what, you know, for 11 months, I had a radio show and mm-hmm. our station changed formats. I lose my show. And oh. was, yeah. So um, that was like, literally, this is the second week of the pod. I took one week off after the show got canceled on a Monday morning, 45 minutes before I get off the air. <laughs> I took wow. one week off and I said, okay, we just move it to a pod. I'm just going to do it. And the thing that I've enjoyed about this, because this is, you know, tomorrow and the Friday will be the second full week is that, yeah, I do get to say more of what I want to say. And I get to go into longer conversations nice. with guests and really not, you know, that interruption of commercials and the mm-hmm. fact that you got that little bit limited amount of time and topics. I don't have to deal with that now. And so I, I really enjoy it. That's so dope. I'm happy to hear that. So, First, how long have you been in the game and what got you in? Oh, my God. It's, it's crazy because um, I've been in this game as long as I've been in my relationship with my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say he's my good luck charm because that's when things kind of really started working out for me. So I've been in sports. Well, I've been working in sports rather since 2013. I think we both got that back is seven in. years. <laughs> yeah, we both. I think we both we both got back in. Oh, I got back in the same year you got going. Yeah, because uh, I I started in the early. Uh, I'm showing my age. Uh, I started in early 2000s in television, and doing uh-huh. sports broadcasting. I was in um, my last station was WGGB in Springfield, Mass. And, okay. Um, um, I got out of TV because it just wasn't fulfilling. It was like a lot of three minutes, you know, and cutting your time for weather. And so I just got out of it. I did PR for wow. a good decade. PR, marketing, writing commercials, all kinds of stuff like that. And um, I got back in in 2013 because I, I, I missed sports a lot. I missed the interaction. And I was like, I, I started volunteering. I was like, I'll write for free if somebody will let me write. And, and it just worked out since then. So wow. I know the grind. I know that grind. The grind is hard, but you know what? I think that as cliche as it sounds, hard work really, truly does pay off. And people ask us, I'm sure that you've gotten like, oh, how'd you get started? What's the blueprint? We're not going to let you know what detours we took, how many times we question if we even want to do this. So you got to be willing. I'm, you got to really, really be willing to put in the work. And I got connected with um, this next reporter by the name of Ian Begley. I don't yeah. know if you remember. But he gave me some really good advice. And at the time, I was 25, you know, 2013. And I'm just like, oh, you know, man, he couldn't just hook me up with a job. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) so I can admit that I was real ignorant. And meanwhile, years later, now we're in the same locker room. And he's like, Erica, you know, I'm so happy to see you here. And I said, no, I really valued all your advice. So for those of you listening out there, we are proof that you got to just put in the work. Yeah, it's. And finding your voice is so important. That's something that I stress with people consistently is like, you can't be somebody else. You can't be who you saw on SportsCenter or, or read. I mean, it's one thing to have influences and I have certainly influences, but finding my authentic voice was something that was a process. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. Finding your voice and trying to not duplicate what others are doing. And not to say like we're trying to reinvent the wheel either, but you just also want to be unique and stand out in a place, I'm sorry, in a space that everything is kind of just rinse and repeat. So I can understand what you're saying as well. In this market now, because media is getting so fragmented, mm -hmm. um, what's cool is that there are so, so many venues to at least express yourself and your opinion and you can fail more. And, and that part I think is important because you know, if you looked at the stuff that you wrote in 2013 yeah. and you look at the stuff that you wrote now, I, I know I was embarrassed by some of the things that, mm -hmm. that I wrote. I really thought they were good at the time. And I look at them now like I, I did, I had no clue how to really put together a compelling sports story at the time. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like you look back at your trajectory and considering now, this is the first time where I'm really at a standstill in my career because you know, there's no sports. And even though UFC and boxing are on, I haven't been able to really get into it. It's weird to me to see no fans. And it's like the room echoes. It's kind of quiet. It's awkward. But I'm happy that people are getting into it. And obviously with the restarts of other bigger sports are coming out today and next week and in August as well. Um, but you're right. Looking back on what we've done, I've sat down. I'm like, wow, I did all that. And then I said, damn, my 2014 stuff could have been a little bit better. <laughs> You got to learn. It's, it's not, it's not a, it's a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. And if you can't be critical of yourself, yeah. you, you, you have to be your harshest critic. You have to be the person because nobody else, like it's a competition and nobody else is going to, I mean, you're lucky when you get a great editor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody who cares about your career and is willing to be honest with you. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, you really have to be critical. You have to read your stuff. You have to be prepared for how you look on mm -hmm. camera, how you sound on radio, whatever. And it's just so much work. I, I think a lot of folks see the glamour side of it, see yeah. people's names on things and, and on mastheads and, and on TV, and they think, well, it's not that hard. Man, this is a, <laughs> it's a high work, low-reward low industry. Yeah. And man, someone could quickly steal your quote. They're faster at it because they're veterans than they could post a story. And you're like, but wait, that was my question. Or something like that. But you're right. You have to be able to take one constructive criticism and also be able to say, you know, this isn't my best work. How can I improve from this? Yep. You talked about leagues getting back um, and coming back. Major yes. League Baseball starts today, Thursday, mm -hmm. we're recording this. Um, you got two games Thursday night, Yankees and the Nationals, and yes. the um, Giants and Dodgers. Yes. First, I have to say my condolences to you as a Mets fan. <laughs> well, I'm assuming since you're down in Baton Rouge, is it safe to assume like you're a Cardinals fan in that area? I am a Yankees fan. I was, oh, you're a Yankees fan? Yes. How did that happen? Well, um, my I was born in Detroit, which is which is That's I should have been a Tigers fan. Yeah. <laughs> but my dad is a is a hard dyed Yankees fan, and die hard nice. Yankees fan. And so, okay. as I was growing up, that's all. Like my first game was at Tiger Stadium. The first the first oh, things okay. I watched were all at Tiger the old Tiger Stadium. And mm -hmm. but my dad never stopped talking about the Yankees. So <laughs> I became a Yankee fan right at the worst possible time because I'm five years old when they traded Reggie Jackson. Uh, I mean, yeah, so he, he's gone. 
to yeah. the Angels. And then they mm -hmm. go through the 80s where they never win anything and all the way up till 96 when they won. So yep. I, I, I did the suffering as a Yankee mm -hmm. fan. But I also, um, I had the joy of 2001 when the Yankees played the Mets <laughs> in the World Series. <laughs> this is the joy of 2001. Man, it's hard to be a Mets fan. Like it's, I have such anger issues only because of that team. I'm positive, I'm sure about it. But you know, we just kind of end up living and you learning and you know how to develop some thick skin when it comes to the Metropolitans. <laughs> yes, as, as a, a <laughs> fan of the um, Knicks and a fan of the um, Detroit Lions, uh, suffering. You're a Knicks fan too, damn. That's yeah, a bad <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Knicks, I, I, Patrick Ewing is the reason I'm a Knicks fan. He was the first college basketball player that I fell in love with. And he nice. was drafted by the Knicks. So I've been a Knicks fan ever since. I hate James Dolan. Um, okay. <laughs> I wish you could. <laughs> I, I, I can't stress that enough. Um, and the, the last time I cried over a game in my life okay. uh, was John Stark's game seven, Knicks versus Rockets. Like, I, I bawled that night. My friends had to come pick me up um, and take me out of my house. Yeah. It's that bad. But it's ironic because you're saying that, and I have to be honest, like, I didn't really grow up watching Knicks basketball. So a lot of it, I am still learning, like, the culture. And I grew up a Spurs fan. That's why. So that's out of left field, one, because I'm in New York. But I really thank God that I'm not a Knicks fan because I can't take another suffering fan base. Like, with, with the Mets, it's enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for the Spurs, see, the greatest player in Spurs franchise history, one Tim, Timothy Theodore Duncan. Yeah. That, that was my classmate at Wake Forest. No way. Really? Yes. Wow, what a small world. I remember watching him. This is the reason why I'm a Spurs fan is because my brother – follow his career in college ball and ever because he would have to babysit us so I'm my brother not to age him but he's turning 40 this year so he was the oldest sibling and he's like all right I gotta babysit y'all so you're gonna sit right next to me and watch whatever we're watching so that's why I'm a Spurs fan because we followed Tim Duncan in college yeah Timmy that was <laughs> we came in too. we came in the same year and yeah. um the game, you know, Zion's debut game was against the Spurs, and he was here in town, and uh -huh. um, and it was really cool to see him again because I hadn't seen him in a couple of years since he, had, you know, he had retired and um, then sure, like came back career. to coaching. Yeah, so it had been a few years, but Timmy's the same dude that he was when we were 18 years old. That dude has not changed. That's Doesn't beautiful to hear. Like people always say, like, oh, they're not humble. They're not. There's no humble bone in their body, but. I think that's always a reach and that and it's dope it's great to hear like something that i already suspect suspected that he's such a great guy like and he's if, such a nice dude like you could just be friends with him not talk about ball he could no, talk about anything else he loves video games tim nice. loves video games that's if you want to talk to tim about something talk to him about video games and also if you ever interview him ask uh -huh. him about how he how great a point guard he could have been because wow. he will tell you he he believes and, like, it was funny because he – it was me, him, and Antonio Daniels who played with uh -huh. the Spurs for – when they won uh, one of the titles, you know, Antonio Daniels, so, yeah. who now does – who broadcasts for the Pels. So, it was mm -hmm. the three of us talking together, and I made a joke about it, and Antonio was like, stop telling him that. He swears he's a great point guard. 
He believes that to his core. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I've seen it since we were in college. He knows he's a point guard. He, he believes, yeah, he just swears he was miscast as a power forward center. He thinks right? he's a point guard. He, okay. Well, I'll keep that in the back pocket. I'll be like, so a friend of yours told me once. <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> yeah, so those were some really good times. But um, so back to baseball. So if this were a normal season, yeah. three of those four teams would be World Series favorites, Yankees, Dodgers, Nets. Mm-hmm. But now with the schedule, stacked with mm-hmm. these divisional games, and in your yep. interleague play is only against the same division regionally from the opposite league, it's, yep. it makes it so much harder to predict who's going to make the postseason. I completely agree. And then I read an article earlier today from Yahoo. I forget who the writer is, so I feel rude saying that. But um, they were talking about, is it even be happy that it's back? So that's the other part that I'm conflicted on because you're right. These three, these the three out of those teams would definitely be World Series favorites. Like I honestly thought it was going to be Dodgers, Yankees, World Series all over again. Even I'm secretly want to see it because like I wasn't alive for the one that happened in the '80s. But um, it's just a weird, weird vibe right now, and I think that it still counts despite it being only 60 games. I hate that people are saying it's going to be an asterisk. No, it's not. Respect the title. I mean, if it's it depends who wins. More importantly for me, because if it's a Dodgers, then I'll talk. Then I'll talk all the smack I could talk. But even <laughs> my problem is that the Yankees is Yankee fans. So no offense, David. <laughs> no, I don't like bandwagon Yankee fans. I don't like oh, them. them so much. <laughs> no, and I don't like yeah people who think that the Yankees started in 1996 when Derek Jeter got there. I am not friends with those people. No. Yeah. Nope. You haven't been there during the dark ages, which was the eighties. And obviously it's a good 15 years, if not. Yeah. About 15 years, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of nothing but disappointment. But yep. it, <laughs> so if we, we do the 60 game season, you got Toronto still doesn't have a home. Yep. <laughs> oh no, there. I saw that they're going to play in Pittsburgh. I don't know. No, no. It's out. Confirmed anymore? No, wow. it's out. It's your team. Yeah. So now they're talking about Buffalo where their triple A team is yeah. as potentially being the site, but they still don't have an agreement and we're playing. They're on the road, <laughs> I mean, for their first yeah. two series, but we're playing and they don't have a home. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, just baseball's preparations for this. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw what happened in Kansas City where they lost yep. a significant amount of players, impact players for coronavirus. Yeah. Could you see a scenario this season where a team – has to pull out. You know, I've always suspected that. I'm sorry, I've recently suspected that because of how many players have been testing. And then also, I didn't really like the way that the players union, I'm sorry, I didn't like the way that the league was handling with the players union stuff. I don't think they really prioritized their health. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Juan Soto's out tonight because he has COVID. Yep. So it leads you to believe, like, who else did he come in contact with since, you know, they played an exhibition game? So there's just so much things to consider, and I'm – it's just hard to say. But I wouldn't be surprised if a team pulls out. But even then, like, that's – it's just a part of history that I think we're just going to have to accept and move on. Like, part of me still feels that, you know, cancel it all. We'll just wait till next year, wear your mask and all that good jazz. But, you know, part of us still wants to see sports in some sort of spectrum. 
Yeah, it's, it, it is a hard thing to reconcile because, yeah, I love sports. My job is sports, it, yeah. you know, and I've lost money because we have not had sports. <laughs> yeah, for and sure. It's hurt, it hurts people like me and you a lot more than it hurts uh-huh. the owner. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's really hard because I think MLB did do a poor job, and, I, and we can talk about the NFL a bit too, but yeah. those two leagues seemed – and the NCAA – have all done really bad jobs in preparing for player safety. And both of those, I mean, like you said, MLB starts today. Training camps are supposed to start for the NFL on Tuesday. And Mm -hmm. the NCAA is getting ready to have kids report to camps. And none of them have a concrete medical policy that really is uh, going to protect the players. It's true. It's definitely all about money. And I think that this is something that we've noticed that I can't help but just think about the tweets that people are saying, like how they're going to be tested daily. And then back in March, these tests weren't even available for people like you or me. And it's crazy how A-listers have an opportunity to get them before us. And, you know, above all, like medical staff, teaching staff, like people that actually have to report to work. I mean, we have to report to work too, but like now it's more on the virtual because we're not really allowed in the bubble or any other rather. But I really think that they did a poor job. So I agree with you. I don't think that they, I think that this is a learning thing, but they also could have done a better job while learning. Yeah. Cause the, the, the outcome of failing this yeah. <laughs> is potential tragedy. And yeah. that's the part that I, that I really struggle with, particularly with the NFL. Um, but big contact sport. Yeah. It's just, it, I, I, I'm worried. What would be, what would be your thought just as, you know, as you watch this, baseball is going, it is a travel sport. Yeah. Even though they've regionalized it some, you're mm-hmm. still going to have to get on planes. And we've seen these issues with planes and their cleanliness. We yeah. know that, I mean, baseball, uh, at least around the world, it's been manageable. Um, mm-hmm. But we're talking about countries that are much smaller, much less dense uh, than yeah. what we have in the United States and have dealt with the coronavirus largely better than we have. So, I mean, it's just, I'm, yeah, I still have a a pretty good level of concern. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen, sorry, back in March, no, I'm sorry, back in May, it was a before and after comparison of lungs and a perfectly healthy pink lung, you know, no, Mm -hmm. never never smoked, no issues, thank God. Then the same person who had COVID, their lung, oh, I'm sorry, their lungs were, it looked like a yellow, dirty sponge that you would see in a school. Very dingy looking, and that's, that's permanent damage that people don't realize, like, at these expense of these people. And they're saying, oh, but they, they get paid millions to play. That's, money's not going to solve your health issues when you get it 20 years down the line. Like, people are just like, I know it's not the same thing, same comparison, but premature babies just because they were preemies and they survived that doesn't mean that they're not going to have long-term effects that will hurt them when they could have been in the mother's womb obviously developing and yet they had to be in incubators so people don't really think about that and that's what that's such a selfish thought to have because these are still people too they have families they have friends like you and I like look you were just talking about Tim Duncan and you know that's a household basketball name and yet what if he had COVID and um, Greg Popovich the other day, he literally said, I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. Like, people are forgetting that people are dying from this. No, I understand that the rate of recovery is greater for sure, but 
the way that these cases are going, you know, I was in, you know, I live in New York, so the pandemic really hit hard here. A lot of people were dying. I have, I live across the street from a hospital and I had two of the trucks because there's no, there's no space in the morgues. Right. Two trucks were literally down the block from me. Like that was eerie to see. I'll never forget it. But you're right. Like there's still a huge level of concern. What if a player dies? We haven't had that yet. Someone, a player's mom died. I'm well, sorry. We can- or your career is ruined. Yeah. Or your career is ruined too. And I mean, there are guys who are going to be 24 years old, and they, and something could happen, and yeah. you know, and oh their God. career ends because they never have the same lung capacity. Yeah. Um. I mean, we're, yep. we're what we're what five months, four months past Rudy Gobert, and he says he's still having um, effects. Yeah, he can't taste well. I think he's what he was saying. His, his sense of taste of, I'm sorry, his sense of taste hasn't returned, right? Is that what he said? I mean, just a number of little complications that he's been dealing yeah. with. And again, mm-hmm. we don't know. We just don't know. We don't have enough science to say. So it's just, it's, that's the scariest thing is that we don't have that much science to give us something to be predictive about any of this. Yep, I agree. And I just keep going back that it's a selfish thought, but you know what? I know that we eventually have to go back to some sort of normalcy, but I just don't think it should come at the expense of these people who are also human beings too. In baseball, baseball's had a number of personal, you know, first you have the contentious negotiations between the union and the players, which (laughs) I was on the side of the players the whole time with that to tell them that they had to take, that to cut their salaries by 80%. That made no sense to me. Nope, not at all. Um, But baseball has always been the most conservative sport. The Mm -hmm. unwritten rules, the language barriers with Latino and Asian players, the dwindling Mm -hmm. number of black players. Um, Have we seen anything other than a few messages like what the Red Sox did and put Black Lives Matter on the outside of Fenway Park when we know what Fenway Park can be like for black players? Uh-huh. Is there, have you seen any indication that baseball is serious about changing how it does business where every league right now is supposed to be reevaluating themselves, but we really haven't seen uh-huh. anything concrete in the way of plans for change? Yeah. Well, I, I remember I went to this diversity and inclusion event at City Field, I think like 2016, 2015. And obviously the point of his duh for diversity and inclusion. Um, I forgot the woman's name, but she was the VP of it. And she asked me, hey, um, Robert Manfred's ready to take his press conference right now. You should come. And I said, all right. I was nervous as hell, more importantly. But when I walked in there, it was just nothing but older white reporters. They don't carry the same narrative that you and I would carry. And obviously, um, I'm Latina. have my black roots no matter what, even though I'm pale as hell. But... <laughs> Um, I think that the storytelling needs to change. That narrative doesn't really talk about us. And that, oh, I forget his name, the Yankee player that was having with the tar, what's his name, Luis, Luis, what's his name? Tar? Um, the, the tar. Oh, incident. Luis uh, Severino. Severino, yeah, Severino. So mm-hmm. there was a really good article, and I forget the writer's name. And he talked about that language barrier, that he's having a whole bunch of English reporters asking him the question, and the translator not, is not able to convey it. And in a space like that, I would have loved to have been a part of it, because I'm sure that him, going back to his native in the Dominican Republic, it, to him, it's not that serious. But people here saw it as, like, you're cheating, it's a better grip on the ball, et cetera, et cetera. So... To answer your question, I don't think that the league is doing anything because these front offices, they're still white as hell. Like, 
not to diminish their talent, their work, but how is it possible that we only really identify with the Afro-Latino players on the field and now we're finally seeing that they're elevating the other players like um, Mookie Betts, like people, and even then he still doesn't even get a lot of respect and obviously he just signed that contract and people were like, oh, he's not that serious. Someone compared him yesterday to Brett Gardner and no offense to Brett what? Gardner. That's an insult. That is exactly. an insult. That's what I'm saying. And Brett Gardner is good. You know, he's clutch. He's great for the Yankees. I'm sure you know. But you don't compare those two players. And then I don't know if you saw the comments yesterday from when the Red Sox posted that. Mm-hmm. People are disgusting. Like, they just live in a bubble. And they forget that their backgrounds haven't been explained to them. Meanwhile, we kind of know where we're from. But we still need Ancestry DNA to help us out and <laughs> figure out what percentage from Cameroon we're from. If I do have Spaniard descent in me, for example, but even then, like, I don't even observe it because, like, to me, it's like whenever I see people talk about these DNA tests, like, they go off and say, like, be white, and I feel like you should still be proud of be your minority descent in your background. But um, I still don't think that the league is doing anything concrete to bring change. Like, I'm still waiting to see some, you know, our era of Ken Griffey. I thought it was going to be Curtis Granderson. Obviously, he got. Injury after injury. I mean, not to say Ken Griffey didn't, but you know, I think that we need a star player to try to be able to reel in back those black black fans because, like now, um, I don't know if you saw the Griffey doc. Mm-hmm. They're saying that now baseball isn't even played as much as inner city, and it's seen like kind of how soccer kids. Because I never saw, I never played soccer growing up, but it's seen as an expensive sport for people to be able to afford, and you used to be able to play in the streets like football. So yeah. now. Like it's it's it's, a, it's not affordable for parents to put their kids in anymore. So maybe they could do a little bit more with that to reach out to the communities because kids are just connecting to basketball and football. Because you yeah you can pick up a basketball and go anywhere even if you're exactly. not shooting. I can stand mm-hmm. there and dribble and work on that. Uh, yep. And football if I got one other friend mm-hmm. we can throw the ball back and forth. Mm-hmm. But baseball is not something you can do in solitary. Uh, most part of it, the parts you fall in love with. You can't do it by yourself. And like you mm-hmm. said, it's extremely expensive. And with the focus on travel teams and playing mm-hmm. year-round, for most black families, and uh, most families in general now, it's, it's yeah. highly expensive. But for black families in particular, it's, it, where do you see a baseball field in, in a city now? Where do you see exactly. a place for some kids who can just go out and and get access to a bat, a ball, and some glove and a glove? When a good glove now is you know almost a hundred dollars, a bat is going to cost you a hundred bucks. Cleats, mm-hmm. all those things. There's just there just has not and people forget it wasn't that long in this country when baseball was the sport for blacks yeah. in mm-hmm. this country and for Latinos primarily too. Because yeah. the first major Latin star in this country athletically was Roberto Clemente. Yeah. And I've, I've just, obviously I wasn't born in that era yet, but I was like, you know, I've seen his videos and stuff. Like he was very much outspoken. He didn't give a damn. And I love that. But you're right. Like it's, it's a different, there's a different sense to it. And I watched the Caribbean World Series. Obviously I'm a Spanish speaker. I watch it with my dad in the fall when it happens. And there's just a different vibe out here. And they could just take so many notes. They could bring in consultants from these nations and work with them. But there's just, I don't think there's an interest. No. It's unfortunate. Yeah, baseball's audience is getting older and yeah. more monochromatic. And like mm-hmm. you said, I love the Caribbean World Series. I love mm-hmm. the Mexican League. I yes. love Korean baseball. I love Japanese baseball. 
because mm-hmm. they're all more fun. They are yes. more culturally accessible and they don't give a dang about bat flips and they don't give a dang about the crowd having fun. And they're just letting people enjoy the game of baseball. It seems like baseball treats itself now like they want you to act like it's golf. Yeah, and it's, I think they're so concerned with changing the pace of the game, speeding it up. Like the game is not the problem at all. And they don't realize that no matter how many articles you and I and other writers might write, but that's literally the last thing that should be on their mind because like this game was fun in the 90s and nothing was changed to it. Like, I, I just don't understand what, what's, what's on their mind, but these front offices have to change. And the first thing that they have to do is that they have to bring in more minorities. They're all white. They don't understand the culture, the fun behind it. They're like, and, purist is what people call themselves, whatever that means. Yeah. I don't, and anybody <laughs> who says they're a purist in anything, to me, that means you're just resistant to change. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. you're an obstructionist to that because nothing is pure. Mm-hmm. And, and nothing stays the same so if you're trying to keep it the same you stand it in the way of something better wow amen you nailed it <laughs> one of the <laughs> thing, <laughs> one of the things that are that is changing potentially are some names uh mm-hmm. and indians are now meeting with native american groups to talk about potentially yep. changing their name and of course mm-hmm. the, the washington racial slurs are now going by the temporary na- temporary name of the washington football team um, what are your thoughts on the Washington football team as a, a placeholder? And then just in general, how we are, why this sudden revelation that these things we knew were bad for yep. decades. Now all of a sudden people are saying, well, let's have a conversation. Yeah, I think that they probably hoped that it was going to go away. Um, people were going to forget and not take it as serious. But obviously this group, this community has been feeling offended for a long time. And I think that, it's lazy. It's a, it just shows laziness across all boards from all their departments that they didn't have any good backups. Because they could have done the Washington Defenders. I don't know, like some corny thing like that, even though Defenders does kind of a little corny. Or as people have been making jokes, the 4 and 12s would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> also a little bit of a slap to the face, but I'm a Giants fan, so that's probably why I like that a lot. But I just think that they didn't put any effort. They're just like, I was just dropped the name over visit this some, sometime down the, down the road. But I don't, I even think then that just still shows a willing, not willing to change. Yeah, I think that it just, it seems like when this first came up and mm-hmm. um, someone that I uh, correspond with, the sports attorney, his name's Daniel mm-hmm. Lustin. One of the things he was talking about was when the federal government took away the copyright. Mm-hmm. And the registered trademark from the team, what was it, three years ago, four years ago? It was still during the Obama administration when mm-hmm. that happened. Apparently some random woman bought a friend of mine. So when that it. happened, that was the time to get prepared because you mm-hmm. knew that eventually it was going to change once yep. you know these challenges started. And so, yeah, it still shows that they had no intention ever of dealing with this. And then in this mm-hmm. short amount of time, they've allowed people to buy up all these names. Yeah. So their choices are extremely limited. Yeah, at this point, what they could have done is what you said earlier, they could have met with, Indi- with um, Native American groups like the Indians are doing um, and probably discuss a more positive and welcoming name. And But the more I read, the more I learn, like people are saying that 
we shouldn't say, for example, like David's my spirit animal. Apparently that's also offensive. We shouldn't be using the term spirit animal, apparently. So I was like, okay, I guess I didn't know that that was offensive, but also like I'm, we're all just learning and we have to accept this change and be able to learn together. And it just seems like there's such a big resistance to trying to understand why this is so offensive. Yeah, and why self-identification, that's yeah. really what this is about. Is And, and it's what we're talking about is, um, in this country and the, in the, the racial conversation we're having is you cannot, and in our, in our field, mm-hmm. don't tell our stories for us. And I think that's Amen. so uncomfortable for the vast majority of Americans who are used to defining us in their, through their lens. Exactly. And that's why it goes back to what I was saying earlier about Severino, like that, I can only imagine how he felt. And obviously there's a language barrier. And then, like you said, telling our stories, like talking about inner city kids growing up, for example, like you said, you were telling me Detroit. And, you know, obviously we know that these areas are very poverty stricken and yet they don't understand because they probably grew up in the suburbs of, I don't know, Long Island, New York, and they're pretty much well off and they don't have anything in common with us and they're not even able to tell that story. And just, you know, and we, uh, I think one of the things that sports journalists always know is the terminology differences mm-hmm. where, the, you know, uh, somebody was showing some Christian McCaffrey highlights to on Twitter one time. And I was like, so I started saying he had sneaky speed because that's usually what they give to white guys is sneaky speed or, mm-hmm. you know, really intelligent at what they do. Grinder, uh, you know, though, works hard. And. How do you think any of these people make it to the major leagues or to the NFL? Or whatever? It's hard work. It's, it's yeah. no natural talent. Don't get you to these places. It's it, yeah. a lot of people got natural talent. I agree. And those terms are something that we're definitely catching out for. I don't know how you feel about it, but remember when the whole stuff with Kyrie happened, they called him the disruptor. I was like, yes. if, would they, why would that even, t- who, who, which editor is sitting there and said, yeah, let's publish this. Let's post it. And didn't say, actually, we might be pissing some people off. <laughs> Let's revisit this and not call him the disruptor. Because all of his questions to me were legitimate. Like when he's not even, yeah, exactly. He's not even trying to be a villain in this space. He's just speaking his mind. And why, I mean, he's a, vi- he was, he's a vice president of the Players Union. Yeah, exactly. It's his job to ask questions. People say, well, why didn't he ask him earlier? Because sometimes you need information to ask more questions. I mean, it wasn't like he waited till after it started to ask. Yeah. And you said, you nailed it. Like people forget the union and you also need time to process. Like who's to say that we need to have a reaction immediately. He probably really gave us some long thought and said, actually, this isn't right. It's it's just the the characterizations, uh, just the, the, the way that, Again, there's this strange thing in American sports where people identify more with the owners than the players. And I have no under, to me, the baseline has to be race. It has to be because there, what other thing would make you identify with a billionaire who Mm -hmm. has no connection to you rather than somebody (laughs) who is likely to have come from a place that's similar to yours, a background that's similar to yours. They're just yep. a working person. They happen to get more money for it, but they're an employee like you are. Yeah, and people I, do not identify with them. I agree. I, I remember I went on a rant because, one, I'm a big union person. My fiance mm-hmm. is a union, and he works for a hotel and just, he works for the Marriott. 
And I remember people were ranting about it. And I'm just like, do y'all not understand how unions work? Like they're backing these employees just because these employees make significant money. It's no different from the police unions. It's no different from the teachers union, carpenter unions, whatever unions that you can think of. There's no difference. Like they agreed to something back in March. Why are they taking so long to step back? And I think that I'm happy that it happened because it really pulled out the ugly side of baseball that a lot of people mm -hmm. were seen out to for some reason and i will never understand why people like you just said i think it's you nailed it for me again and i think you're right it has to be a race thing where they're so offended that these players are actually showing levels of concern when the owners aren't even then they're probably not even going to be at the stadiums they're probably going to be at home watching the games because they're older so this means they're more susceptible to goddamn covid so they're not even going to be able to participate so, okay, let's get let's let these guys who are in their 20s and 30s get sick. Meanwhile, we're still earning millions and billions at this point. And, and at the same time, the owners only care about fans as sources of revenue. They don't care. Yeah. You're not a friend to that billionaire. <laughs> you you yeah. are somebody. You're a consumer. And that's the thing. The athletes are much more connected to the fans. They reach out mm -hmm. to the fans. We see on social media constantly the interaction between players and fans. Where are owners doing things like that? They're not. So why do we, you know, this looking down on players as if they should be grateful. And I've gotten that from, from callers yeah. on my show that why aren't these guys more grateful for things that they earned? No, even using that language like that, you're so charged, you're not even catching the point. And no, there's no need to be grateful at all. They should be, if anything, I think that owners should be happy that they don't just have a bunch of subordinates that are just going to stay quiet and work, but that's not how they view it because obviously they're just concerned about making money. And it's crazy because Mets fans a few years ago, and I'm sure you saw this, they're mm -hmm. like, I caught the team by not showing to the game. Where were those fans all of a sudden? They're all not missing the game? No, let's still boycott. Because if you don't buy tickets, that's how you hear the owners direct. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. It's not the team deals. You have to show up and then buy stuff in order for them to make money. So uh, it's, it's just so upsetting to see like that narrative that people are saying. Just because they make millions doesn't mean it's an excuse to just treat them like crap. No, not at all. Um, to move back away from the NBA, from mm -hmm. um, the NFL, all these things. Um, one of the more interesting things announced today uh, is the exhibition fight between Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> yeah. Iron Mike 54, Roy mm -hmm. Jones 51. They're going to fight for eight rounds on September 12th. Yep. The two of the most dynamic, unique fighters of all time. You've mm -hmm. seen Mike Tyson's training videos. Are you excited to see these middle-aged men in the ring? <laughs> I love that sentence, these middle-aged men. <laughs> I think it's good for the sport, for sure. Um, I'm, I had no clue it was going to be on pay-per-view, though. That's something I just discovered right before our call. I was like, oh, I wonder where we could watch it. And then I was suspecting it might have been on the zone for some reason. And then I'm like, oh, wait, it's on pay-per-view. Wow, who has it? But anyways, um, I was reading a lot of comments. I love reading comments, but people were going in. Like, obviously, I think it's very down the middle. Either Mike's going to put him to sleep or... He's like, Roy Jones is going to put on the best performance of his career. But I am excited, <laughs> for sure. I love it. Boxing is definitely one of my favorite sports. And I can't wait to see the spectacle, because that's what I think. <laughs> it's a spectacle. I wonder what money is. Like, where is it going to go? Is it going to go for charities? Are they going to be earning it? I mean, not that they both need it, I would like to right. say. I hope not. 
<laughs> right? But I'm excited to see it. My, why, not, why not? Let's see these two middle-aged men in there. I just hope that they don't really knock each other out too bad because if you fall down now, you might break your hip, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I was fortunate enough to see Prime Tyson and Prime Roy. Mm-hmm. And, and Roy was probably... Next to Tyson, Roy is my favorite. It's like my favorite fighters from from those years is Iron Mike, Roy, Pernell Whitaker. I loved Pernell Whitaker um, with like yeah, every fire. I know that dude was everything to me. Like he was everything that to me, he's everything that people think Floyd Mayweather is. I mm, think I thought Pernell was a better fighter overall than Floyd. Uh-huh. That, that was my thought. But yeah, I love that era of boxing, and I uh-huh. I think it's I think what boxing needs, like you said, they need a spectacle because there has not been a great fight in some time. Deontay Wilder and, and Tyson Fury was really disappointing. Oh my um, god, part two was trash. It was so yeah, dis- so I think they need. No, this. both of them were. <laughs> so I'm yeah, sorry. They, both of yeah, them it was were. a terrible fight. It was a terrible <laughs> fight. It wasn't interesting at all. And Deontay Wilder, bless his heart. I, I mean, he's not. He's He's a puncher, not a fighter. He, mm-hmm. His technique is so bad. Yep. Yeah. I hope that I was actually discussing that with my former boss. And he's like, you know, he, I hope that he finally decides that he needs to learn how to train defensively. And I hope that he finds a better trainer this time around. No offense to his training camp guys, but still, it's, you're right. Like he was exposed, as everyone was saying. I mean, he holds his hands so yeah. far out. I mean, it's just like, what do you, you can't do that against a guy who's almost seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. Like, just, <laughs> just giving him jabs. That's all you would, and it's just, oh, it's just bad. Deontay, yeah. I love the dude, but dude, work on that defense. I agree. You need to work on that ASAP. Because if, you, if you're planning on trying to even, let's just say that somehow he ends up getting a fight with Anthony Joshua, man, you really got to come and prepare because Joshua actually, finally learned a lot more to his technique which is great to have seen mma though has been doing really well and uh, i have to give dana white some credit for pulling this off as well as he has Mm -hmm. um the cards have been good and i mean outside of his beefs with his fighters which he always has anyway (laughs) yeah overall i'd have to give ufc a, a solid grade for for making it this far without any incidents yeah actually watched ufc was it 251 that was on a mm-hmm. couple ago yeah. yeah i watched it and i'm like oh wow you know this actually isn't too bad and i kind of felt bad not tuning in but i said you know what why not this looks like it's working it looks like they're taking all the precautions and even people are going to test positive just because of at this point it's a miracle of who doesn't have this and who hasn't had it rather but you're right. He ended up, he was really criticized, I remember, when everything was, when they, he was trying to launch and then people were saying, no, you shouldn't launch because now this is popping off in Florida. What are you doing? But you're right, we got to give him some credit. He's handling it pretty well. Yeah, and for a combat sport, that's where, you know, you, that's what the worry was, that he's got the proximity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done a great job with keeping, you know, uh, cornermen safe and, and, and keeping the fighters generally safe. So, yeah, I got to give him credit. I know he's had a couple of times where he's had to pull cards real quick. Um, yeah. Because mm-hmm. of substitutions. Two days later. Yeah. But, yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it continues to go. But for right now, this might be the best summer UFC's had in a while. Just because the fights mm-hmm. at the top have been good and all the champions slots are filled. Yeah, I agree. 
I definitely can't wait to see. I know that um, I forget which one is coming up next month, though. I think it's like August 15th ish weekend. Yes. I forget who's fighting on. Yes. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's actually really good. So I'm hoping that one, none of the fighters get COVID and just stay safe, train right, because at the end of the day, we're just trying to. We're trying to work our way back to normalcy, and it's going to be a long road to recover. Yes. All right, now we get to have some fun. Random oh. questions. I mean, this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. <laughs> of course. I always want to make folks feel welcome when they come on. Uh-huh. So, all right, so, but these are utterly random sports questions and other questions. All right. So first, we'll start off. Who is your favorite athlete of all time? You know, that's such a tough one. I can never name pinpoint one guy or one woman rather but i would say i've nailed it down to two and Mm -hmm. between muhammad ali for sure um i have an attitude problem as does he and he never shut up and i learned a lot from his videos he would talk all that smack you know you need that you need that confidence in your life so i would say i love this confidence and muhammad ali for sure guy and then a girl serena williams she is she's a beast she doesn't give a damn she'll tell you in your face what it is and her ethic oh i she's amazing and she's a mom like i love those the photos i don't know if you saw them a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago she was out there with her daughter alexis um it she's just so inspirational but both of them are definitely both male and female would be muhammad ali and serena williams good answers both um <laughs> i mean both considered the goats in their goats. sports. And I, I mean, Serena, like you said, to me, to be in her mid to late thirties at this point and still be dominant against 19, 20, 21 oh year God, olds yeah. is just in that sport in women's mm-hmm. tennis in particular, which has always been a young, younger person sport outside of the Martina Navratilova era is mm-hmm. always a young woman's sport. I mean, so yeah, she's just phenomenal. Um, yeah. The worst sports movie you've ever seen. <sighs> the worst sports movie. You know, I'm prematurely judging it because I haven't seen it. But you're gonna say Space Jam too? <laughs> no, I was actually gonna come out of left field, but the long, the longest yard doesn't look like it's a good movie to me. I've never seen it though, so I'm pre, I'm definitely judging the hell out of it. The Adam Sandler version or the original? No, the Adam Sandler one. It yeah, looks- the Adam Sandler one is not good. The original <laughs> is very good. <laughs> The original is very no, I didn't know that it was a remake. That's, well, that's something new I learned. Yes. The original star is Burt Reynolds. Oh, is it from what? From the 70s, 80s? Yeah, 70s. And you got to okay. remember, too, Burt Reynolds was a running back at Florida State. So the football yep. is legit. Um, and I, I recently watched the Golden Girls, and they kept talking about him. I think they must have talked about him at least one episode a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Burt Reynolds, king of Florida. And the Golden Girls. So. They love him. <laughs> Yep, exactly. It. Yeah. If you could have played in any one game in the history of sports, which one would it be? I would say Damn. These are really good questions so whoever I, know. I did these. Good. I came up with these. This is beautiful. This is amazing craftsmanship. Oh. Um, I would say because it's a cultural thing for me. The World Baseball Classic when Dominican Republic won. That was a thirteen. Yeah, that to me would have been amazing to have been a part of because they had like that's what's crazy. Like going back to we were talking about how 
baseball once changed, just look at that team. Look at the, how they were engaged in the Venezuelan team, the Mexican team. It's beautiful. But yeah, I think that would be my moment to be a part of. They loved playing together, that group. Yes. That was a team. And yes. it wasn't the most talented group of the teams yeah. that were there. But they yeah, played. Fun. They had mm-hmm. fun. They had fun. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure television show? Guilty pleasure television show? Um, you know it's trash, but you don't miss it. Damn. I would say I haven't seen reality shows in a while. I don't know what any reality TV looks like now, but in the past it was <laughs> it was Ice Loves Coco, which with Ice T. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Obviously, his wife. Um, but as of now, I think you know what? I'm not even embarrassed to say it. It was um, oh my god! I have um, I just got a brain fart. What is the title of this damn show? It's on Netflix too. Uh, um. Grace and Frankie with James. Frankie, oh yeah, I love that show. Frankie Grace, yes, I I love that show. That is a great show. (laughs) Yeah, it's so bad, and I'm just like, why am I watching this? I'm like, all right, next episode. Okay, cool. And I didn't even know it was ending next year. I picked it up during COVID, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, they're in their 80s, so it's not like they want that grind to make a TV ain't easy too. I agree, and then God forbid you'll never know, like shit tomorrow's not promised <laughs> no um here's one that i love name a okay. player who has not reached their potential but you really believe in them i would say okay so i have two answers to that okay. i definitely want to put david Wright on there it's unfortunate because i have the same injury the injury that he has in his neck i have the same injury so i understand his pain <laughs> and somehow i thought through as he did david Wright. And I would say, kind of corny, but I would say Kyrie Irving. Yeah, Kyrie I'm, has not reached his potential. No, I would, I would I definitely so. agree with that. Yeah. I think I, he, he still hasn't grown up enough. He hasn't gotten to yes. that stage. Mm-hmm. And we forget that, you know, I, I turned 32 yesterday, but um, he's, not in, he's still in his 20s. Like, there's still so much... Like, science is right. We still got a whole lot to mature. So I think that he still hasn't discovered his full, full potential. Yes, and happy belated. I did wish you happy birthday. Thank you. Yes, birthday, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. Um, what was your best moment as a fan? And what was your best moment as a reporter? Oh, my God. Okay, I'm going to throw it back. September. Hold on. I had the ticket stub, actually, somewhere in this house. But... It was, a, it was one of the last few games at Shea. It was a Philly-Mets game. And that, you already know, there's so much beef there. Mm-hmm. It was a sold-out house because you already know that's when we collapsed in September of 2008. So that was already depressing. But anyways, <laughs> there was a family of three Philly fans. And I remember these kids everyone around me was booing this little girl and she was probably no older than five so i'm sure she hates the mets at this age (laughs) but she's probably 15 and she's never going to forget that but i remember a friend of mine was next to me he was going in and i said yo why are we booing this little girl he's like no she's a philly fan i said chill out like that i would say that would be my best moment as a fan when i was like all right you guys are all being you need to chill (laughs) it's not that don't boo this little girl in her face 
It was bad. I mean, it was a good game. I remember um, Pedro Martinez was pushing it. I think he got tossed from the game. Oh, it was. Oh, it was. It was a Sunday night game. I remember it was on ESPN. It was a lot. Good times. What was the second part of that question? Your best moment as a reporter. Best moment as a reporter. Um, I think. Damn. Best moment as a reporter. I would say. Well, I can't name a moment because I think I'm still discovering great moments. Right. But I would say my attitude. Um, I don't like to barge in and be rude because I see that all the time. Like I, I'm part of New York media, so I want to give us a different narrative. So I don't, I'm not pushy. And if anything, maybe I should be a little more direct just to, to get myself answered and walk away and get my work done. But I would say I'm human and I, re I relate to the athletes where I make the questions comfortable. So I let them know what I'm going to, what I'm going to ask them. And then they're like, actually, I'm not comfortable with asking. I forget there was this player, um, this Bulls player, but this is a few years ago. I was going to talk to him about his upbringing. And he's like, actually, I don't really feel comfortable talking about that. And I said, that's fine. Don't worry about it. We'll just talk about the game. So I would say that would be a good moment, you know, trying to be, trying to make sure that whoever comes into New York walks away with a better attitude. Like, listen, I didn't have a good attitude from one of the posts or the daily news guys, but Erica actually treated me like a person and she wasn't going in on questions. So then who would be your dream interview subject? Ooh, my dream interview subject. Um, I would say recently like Tina Charles, she's been doing a, a lot of amazing mm. And she's been, oh, it's, it's great. And I feel like the WNBA doesn't get any respect that they deserve. No, no. Um, She's a dream interview of mine. And randomly, Cristiano Ronaldo, I think he's very quiet. His, I don't know him on social media, but his social media, like, he could, he posts a picture of his abs and that gets millions of likes within <laughs> seconds. It's, it blows my mind. And this is when I was, I was um, working at The Zone and I was learning a lot about social media thanks to my team, my former colleagues. And they're like, you know what? Why don't you look at his account so you kind of see how these accounts really work? And I remember he posted a photo of his abs, no lie, and he was in like um, a speedo. And within seconds, a million likes. I said, "Wow, do people just have post notifications on?" So for him, he doesn't really talk too much. So I think that would be another one, like an all tell, like please put me on about your life, <laughs> playing in the in playing during the World Cup, all that good stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I can recall what his voice even sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because all we see is abs and good looks, but we don't, we don't hear him. And bad statues. Oh, my God, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they made him look like he was crazy. Oh, my God. Thankfully, they still have some commission to do that, but terrible. <laughs> Somebody had been drinking. Yeah, uh, for sure. All right, so the last two. I think these okay. are fun. What would be your walk-up music in baseball? Ooh, my walk-up music would be, okay, if I play for New York, um, damn, it would definitely have to be a New York rapper, for sure. Um, damn. I would say something Wu-Tang or... Ooh, yes. Wu-Tang, something from Wu-Tang, for sure, or Nas's State of Mind. 
Yeah, I think I could I could definitely I could definitely see some protect your neck coming out. Oh, all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like my uh-huh. favorite my favorite time with the Knicks was when they used to when when it was the Ewing, Oakley, Starks, that group, mm-hmm. and they would play time for some action before yeah. the game. Oh wow. I am such a big Red Man fan. Oh, um yeah. He's and, and when that would come on. Before mm-hmm. the game, and you know, stadium lights would go down and be time, time for some time. Oh, I was done. <laughs> I was done. I was ready. I was ready. Goosebumps. I was like, Goosebumps. <laughs> All right, just the last one. Okay. Give me your hottest take or most controversial opinion. Oh, I have so. You know what? Damn. Again, these are really good, and I just I'm stumped across the board. So shout out to you, David. <laughs> um, I think. My most controversial take. Oh, it actually got me into problems. Um, what's his name? Ryan. He was uh, the Fal- the Falcons um, quarterback. What's his name? Ryan. Matt Ryan. Thank you, Matt Ryan. I said that he's. I remember people were coming at me that really said he was overrated, and I, I met one of the guys who he works on. He works at overtime. He said, you know, do you remember me? I said, no, what's going on? He's like, I'm a huge Matt Ryan fan. He said, you actually got me really annoyed with your opinion. I said, but it's just my opinion. What's the problem? <laughs> but the second part of your question, um, my hottest take is always that the Mets are going to win the World Series. So we're working on year 25 now since yes. they won the World Series. <laughs> a team that arguably should have won three or four. They should have won three in a row. You're absolutely right. They should have won in 87 and 88, but whatever it is, what it is. And they should have won, really, in 89 because they lose to the Dodgers in the NL champion, yeah. NLCS. Uh-huh. Like, that's that, those years, and then 2006, oh, 2000, actually, that night you said you were crying, and I also cried when Carlos Beltran didn't even swing. And Oh, I remember that. <sighs> Those were hard times, and the first time I actually had to be next to him, I was covering this, CC Sabathia has this softball. Right. And Carlos Beltran was right there. I said, how do I just relax and not wall out right now? <laughs> yeah, there are certain players that today, when I yeah. see them at games, and I'm just like, okay, I have to walk away. Um, yeah, because I still have beef with you, and you don't—you don't even know why, but I do. Yeah. And you, yeah. you probably moved on. I still haven't. I still remember. It was tough, but then, what, ironically, like cons- I know that it's probably a terrible comparison, but I think 2006 hurt me more than 2015. If that makes any sense. No, I understand. I absolutely understand. Yeah. Because that 06 team, the way it ended, like you said, the way it ended, mm-hmm. and the whole thing um, with, you know, Ricky and guys. Yeah. Just, oh, man. <laughs> just, <laughs> like, they, they showed no respect. And uh, I just hate the Wilpons. At the end of the day, just comes keeps coming back to owners. Like, you hate Dolan and the Wilpons. And I just pray that they're able to sell the team ASAP. As long as it's not to Alex it. Rodriguez, because I hate <laughs> Alex. I hate Alex, and I hate the fact that Alex is talking about the dude who signs the two richest contracts in baseball yes. history. Talking about uh, he wants a salary cap, bro. No, we're not doing that. No, we're not. We're not football. Let these guys earn their money. It is what it is. Very simple. No. No. 
think it's gonna happen. I think Steve Cohen's gonna end up buying them if the if the real puns budge. More importantly, I just, I just Alex, I, I, I can do <laughs> nothing to rehabilitate that dude in my mind. I cannot. I I don't like him. I, I I understand that he's one of the greatest players who ever lived. Yes, he was a better shortstop than Derek Jeter, which is a, a thing that I hate to say as a Yankee fan, but <laughs> but Alex Rodriguez might be the fakest person that I've yep. ever encountered in sports. I understand. That's how I feel about Jose Reyes. I think that more props to you. You're discovering your music career. If you're going to retire any day now, do it because no team's going to sign you. But <laughs> if it's not a growing issue, it's a thumb issue. And I just wonder how delicate are these tendons and ligaments in your body, whatever. We're just passionate about these teams. <laughs> I know. I know. I so am. And they're like, if, if you went down my – like, if I go down through the Yankees and tell you all the ones that I've hated over the years of oh, people yeah. who put on that uniform and wore jersey and numbers I'll probably agree players. With you too. Yeah, I'll be like, you know what, you're right. I, ha- I hated him too. <laughs> but I did love – there are certain things that I do love, like um, Dwight Gooden throwing a no-hitter for the Yankees. Yes. And Daryl Strawberry <laughs> playing great for us, and, and, you know, and getting – more World Series rings with the Yanks than he did with the Mets. That was awesome. And, you know, so those felt really good to me. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, let me just throw salt on the wound. Yeah, and y'all getting Curtis Granderson after we had used him up. That was awesome. So, (laughs) out of nowhere, Melky Cabrera, I'm just like, what's going on with the team? Can we give Luis Rojas something to work with? And they still did Willie Randolph wrong. And I'm never going to forgive the Mets for that the way they did Willie Randolph. I'm right there with you. And I remember that was really hard. I remember Willie Randolph, he also had to deliver the commencement speech at um, which is Fordham the following year. So I remember I went to it because obviously dumb. I love Willie Randolph with every every fiber of my being. And he looked really sad, you know, went to be back in New York. Yankee Stadium isn't too far from Fordham, Fordham Road. So I, I remember being, and I'm just like, wow, they really did him dirty. And they also did, like, the players. I didn't like how they handled Carlos Delgado. I didn't like how they handled Pedro, Pedro Martinez. Nah. They, nah. Nah. Like, it's, it's, memories. <laughs> it's, it's, almost, it's almost like um, the curse that got put on Harpo, you know, and the color purple yeah. for the Wilpons. Mm-hmm. Until you do right, ain't no yeah. good going to come to you. <laughs> Nope, not even an ounce. And that's why it's the same thing with the Knicks. Like, I've been for a few years now, I could say, which is crazy to even say that. And year in and year out, I'm like, wow, what is, what witchcraft? The word in Spanish is brujeria. And I'm like, what brujeria was put on this damn team? Fuck <laughs> this baddie. And I'm sorry, David, but I, I can't imagine. No, and rooting for bad teams is such a test because you're you're it's almost like i guess it's kind of like playing um slot machine and you've been putting the money in and you've been putting the money in and you've been putting the money the in <laughs> and you're like if i leave this machine and the next person after me yeah pulls it and they win i'm gonna kill myself and yeah. you, that's where i am with the with the knicks it's like i've been waiting my entire life for them to be a consistent winner and i know yeah. the minute that i quit them Something is going to happen. 2012 was a really good year for them. That's when I started paying attention to them. And I said, oh, okay. They got the They did mellow wrong. 
Yeah, we, uh, well, not we, I'm sorry, to an extent, they did. <laughs> they did. Like, and I just, uh, yeah. I just watched the, um, I am, I mean, uh, the kid from Coney Island doc on Stefan. Oh my God. That was, oh, was so good. And I remember kids in high school arguing about this. And again, I never paid attention to the Knicks. I was always out in the West. I'm, I, I prefer the West over the East conference any day anyway. And I'm like, wow, now I remember why David was going off. One of my best friends, he's, his name is David, so he's such a Knicks fan. And he was still defensive about it. I text him about it. He's like, you know, we actually had a really good squad. It wasn't even that bad. It's just that this, like, he still kept making excuses for it. And I said, you know what? I'm just sorry that you were there and you had to just watch these games. But they really did him bad. It's, I'm just happy that he had, he had to leave in order to really find himself. And the end of it was... It was so touching when he said, you know, you can be anything you want, right? And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Steph is, Steph is one of those guys. If, if you talk about the guy that I will stand for, the, the player that no matter what, if we get in an argument, Steph is that guy for me. I, like, I think he's, he, I think he's so underappreciated and underestimated yeah. for how much talent he really had and has. Mm-hmm. And so that's my stand guy. Anybody talk bad about Stephon Marbury, they got to deal with me. Yeah, and now he's the head coach for one of the teams out there. I was I wouldn't be surprised if he has some tenure over there, and then he comes out to the NBA and then becomes a head coach out here. I would That's love to see I Steph. I would just love to see Steph continue to grow. The fact that yes. you know, it, I think in anything, you just want to see people in life be happy, and exactly. he, mm-hmm. he looks happy and content, mm-hmm. and that that that's just awesome. It's beautiful. I. A friend of mine, that same friend, he said that he has apparently a barbershop out in Brooklyn where he gets free haircuts. I didn't even know that. So he's like, yeah, I went to the barbershop one time. It was early in the thousands. And he's like, yeah, they actually have really good service and they provided free haircuts for kids. I didn't even know that. Like, what type of person, despite being painted as a villain and a monster in the media, just because you were losing your mind eating Vaseline that one time doesn't mean that you're there's no way that you're not able to recover from this. And that, that, that's, you know, part of what we talked about is just mm-hmm. the way the, the way narratives get driven about people yes. and we forget mm-hmm. that they're human beings. And then people extrapolate what you see in five minutes mm-hmm. and say, I know you, I know who you are. And that yep. judgment, particularly on athletes, because you would think that, Oh, I saw you for three hours on this, on the weekend that I can make a judgment about who you are as an individual, your work ethic. Like, that's mm-hmm. one thing that I don't criticize about players is their work ethic because I don't know what, what the issue is. I can criticize yep. their play, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I can talk to coaches about things, and if the coaches say something, that's yeah. something. But for me personally, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to call out another um, professional's work ethic that is not for me to do because i don't know what's inside their heart or their head yeah because we don't even know like their amount of training that they do like they get paid obviously a nice amount of check to play but this is something that none of us could do because if it was easy everyone would be doing it it's, it's easy still- to sit on your couch and criticize when you're not even out there and it's still a job at the end exactly. of the day it's still a job and every it don't matter what job you got and some mm-hmm. days that you're gonna wake up and be like i really don't want to go today yeah you can't call out though. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. You cannot. <laughs> I guess unless you're doing load management. Unless you're doing load right? management. Exactly in the G League somehow. It's true. This is cool because our this is our first conversation and we went longer than I really thought we would. Um, just because it was, uh, 
it was enjoyable for me. I had a great time. I hope you did. Me too. Thanks, David. This is this is great. Like I love connecting with so many people, and especially in sports, you can't be snobby about it. Like, oh, I don't want to follow back, or oh, I want to have a certain amount of people I only follow back. Man, get out of here with that. That you make no sense. <laughs> it's just one big community and and i'm glad exactly. now that you and i are, are connected in it and yes. so yes. go ahead and tell folks again how they can uh, follow you and uh what you may be working on for um quick out the blocks of course so you guys can find me at twitter and instagram curls and sports spell normal nothing crazy no z's at the end it's just <laughs> And for Quick Out the Blocks, um, I'm actually working on a feature on an analyst by the name of Monica McNutt. So I don't know if you guys have heard of her, but she is a rising star. She played for Georgetown. So I can't wait to see what she's going to develop. And I'm actually in the process of making my, well, not making, um, starting my own podcast soon, too. All right, then. Well, then I have to return the favor then at some point. Yeah, for sure. Definitely have to be on there. And I'm a little nervous to do it on my own, but you know what? I think I could do it. I've been seeing so many people doing it and just taking notes and learning. Just just be you. Just be you. And the same thing with writing. You'll you'll find your voice and you keep it rocking. For sure. So all my best to you. Thank you again. And we will, we will talk again. We will talk oh, we again. Will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> <laughs> Especially that first series, Yanks versus Mets. That's what we will yeah. be talking, one way or another. That is Erica Fernandez, and I am David Grubb. This has been Hard to Paint, and I'll see y'all on Monday. We out. Peace.